Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk about what do you do when your child doesn't want help for anxiety or OCD? And a lot of times as parents, often we think that's the end of the road, game over. My child doesn't want to work on it, so I either don't do anything or I force it. And there's so much more in between that. So today I want to dive into exploring why a child or teenager wouldn't want help for anxiety or OCD, because there's lots of different reasons, and then what to do about it. Because there are a lot of action steps that you can still take as a parent. And the only question that really you need to know is why it's happening, and then what's your next step? Because there is always, 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 always a next step. There's never inertia. There's always something that you can do for this journey. And we're going to explore what that is. Before we get started, a couple announcements. The first one is I want to thank NoCD. NoCD sponsors this podcast and this episode, and they offer affordable, effective, convenient therapy available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com, treatmyocd.com. Definitely circle back with them if you haven't talked to them in a while because they have added new insurance providers and new locations. And so it's always good to periodically check back with them. The next thing I want to mention before we dive into this really important topic is I do have a new class coming out. I'm super excited about because people have asked me for literally years to create this course for kids and teens with OCD so that I can give them the tools directly. Uh, I have a lot of tools for you guys. I have a whole online school at atparentingsurvivalschool.com that has courses for parents, how to teach your child to crush OCD, how to teach your child to crush anxiety, what to do when your child struggles with sleep because of anxiety or OCD, what to do on how to handle difficult behavior caused by anxiety or OCD. Those are all actually classes for you. And some of them actually have videos for your kids as well. The difficult behavior does and the sleep one I believe does. And I have a social anxiety class that is directly for kids, teens, and adults, but I don't have one for kids and teens for OCD, which I know is really bizarre. And I think part of the reason why I didn't do that is because I really wanted parents to learn the tools to create a therapeutic home environment and to really be able to help their kids. That's kind of where my passion is at. But now that I've done that and I've created the AT Parenting community, like an online membership community and my classes. I'm ready to plug that one missing hole, which is help directly for your kids. So it's coming out at the end of September. If you're on the wait list, you'll get notified early, get a special discount. And so you can go to atparentingsurvivalseries.com slash waitlist dash OCD. I'll leave a link in the show notes, but it's atparentingsurvivalseries.com slash waitlist dash OCD. If you go to my website, you'll see it advertised as well. And so you'll be able to click that link and sign up for the waitlist because like I said, those people who are on the waitlist will get notified early and get a discount. And so that would be a benefit. Okay. I want to dive into this topic because this is 
By far the biggest roadblock I see when I'm working with members of the AT parenting community or when I even am just talking to anybody about their child, this puts the the, the brakes on really fast. <laughs> and it's frustrating, right? When your child doesn't want to work on anxiety or OCD and you know all the tools, you maybe you've listened to my episodes and you know you're well armed with what they need to do and you're ready to coach them and then nothing crickets their foot is firmly on the brakes that is super frustrating and so there is something that you can do about that i want to first go into the barriers so like everything else that i ever talk about and if you listen to me a lot you'll you'll start to learn how to approach all of these struggles in general because it's kind of like a framework of how i approach everything and the first one is playing detective i want to know more about the problem when members of the AT parenting community talk to me in the forums, in the member website, they'll ask me questions. And a lot of times, I'm sure it's probably a little frustrating, but I always want to know more first. They'll say, you know, my child has contamination OCD and what exposure should I do for them? Or my child has moral OCD and how should I respond? My response is always a question back because I want more information. You know, what's the core fear? What's the core thought? You know, how do you normally respond? We want to gather information. We want to play detective. And so when our kids don't want to work on anxiety or OCD, we never want to assume. My mom used to say something. If you have kids in the car, you can fast forward this. <laughs> my mom used to always say, never assume. I don't know why this is like one of the quotes I remember from my childhood, which is very bizarre. So assuming makes an ass out of you and me. And it's true. A lot of times I assume things about my kids' anxiety or OCD, and I'm wrong. I am often wrong, even though I feel like I really know my kids well, and I know their themes well, and I obviously know anxiety and OCD well, those assumptions are often wrong. And so let's not assume that you know why. You might know, but we never want to operate from a place of knowing. We always want to operate from a place of curiosity first. And so, you know, I guess the very, very, very first thing is you have to put your own emotions in check, what's showing up for you. And I do want to get to you, but I don't want to start with you because I don't want this to feel like a let's blame the parent podcast episode because I'm never about that. So I want to start with your kid and then we are going to get back to you because we are a pivotal part in this dance with our kids. But let's first start with the barriers. And so here are some common ones. Your child or teenager feels embarrassed or shameful or guilty about their thoughts or feelings, especially when it comes to OCD kids can have intrusive thoughts that are that are taboo or perceived taboo. They can be sexual in nature, or they could feel just weird. Like, why do I have to do all these things and nobody else does? I feel like a freak. I feel really weird. And so with anxiety, like they have social anxiety, they can be like, why can't I talk to people? Or why do I feel so overwhelmed in front of other people? Everybody else seems to be able to do it just fine. Or why can't I you know, sleep over at my friend's house. Why do I have separation anxiety and I'm 11 or 12? That's embarrassing. Or why am I so worried about throw up? Nobody else is worried about that. So the first one, and your kids can have none of these. They can have some of these. They can have multiple ones. These are just the big ones that are common. So when you have the feelings of shame and embarrassment, one of the main things that's going on with that is possibly it's, it hasn't been normalized. And so they feel like they're all alone. They, they don't understand anxiety or OCD is a common issue. And so they're embarrassed and they don't understand that maybe some of those taboo thoughts they have are common because with OCD, you know, a lot of times what 
the media portrays as OCD is so very far from the reality of OCD and what a lot of people struggle with, including those really upsetting, overwhelming, disturbing, intrusive thoughts. And so that's something to look at. The next one is they feel that therapy or even talking about anxiety or OCD will make the problem worse. And so that's an anxiety or OCD theme in and of itself. So anxiety is about avoidance and OCD. Often the compulsion is avoidance and OCD is anxiety's bigger, better cousin. I say that a lot and OCD is smart. And so it pivots, you pivot, it pivots, you make a move, it makes a move. Anxiety is not as sophisticated as OCD. It's, it could be as debilitating, but it's not as sophisticated. OCD seems to one up you a lot. Um, it's a very, very smart disorder. And so it will outsmart your, your treatment approaches. And the very first defense for OCD is, Hey, you talk about me, I'm going to make it worse. It's going to make it worse. It's going to be a lot more uncomfortable. And so you shouldn't really bring up this, this, or you shouldn't even talk about me at all. So it actually becomes a compulsion, not talking about anxiety, or OCD, uh, avoidance can be a compulsion and that can be the first one. And so it like, it stops any progress dead in the water because it says, if you talk about me, you're going to have a problem, which is an OCD thought, right? Intrusive thought. If you talk about me, you're going to have a problem. Compulsion, avoid talking about me. Done deal. Not going to get better. OCD gets to live on. So that's one barrier as well. And then the last one I want to mention, I don't want to give you a zillion barriers, but these are like the main ones. So the last one is, it's not that bad. You know what? I'm I'm a prisoner and this isn't how they view it, but it's like, I'm a prisoner and I'm doing what my captor wants me to do. And I'm following all the rules and he gives me some relief. And so it's fine. Let's not rock the boat. Or I just avoid, you know, going out and talking to people. And so my social anxiety is fine. Or as long as you're with me, mom, you know, there's not a problem. So what's the deal? Why do I need to work on that? And I do want to mention, I think like separation anxiety is a really, really hard one when it comes to motivation, I have seen that there are certain anxiety and OCD themes that are harder than others as far as motivation. And some of them are in the anxiety world. Separation anxiety is to me was the number one hardest theme. No offense for those of you that are like, Oh my gosh, Natasha, you just made me feel worse. It's not that it can't be helped, but I want you to know that part of that journey with separation anxiety is the barrier to your child wanting improvement because they're fine. I like sleeping in your bed. I like when you come with me everywhere. I like, as long as you're with me, I feel good. Why do you want to rip that away from me? And so I saw the least amount of engagement and motivation in separation anxiety because they would view therapy as like adversarial. Like you're trying to remove the one thing that makes me feel comfortable. So if you are dealing with that, you're not alone. (laughs) Just like When we were trying to explain to kids, you're not alone. You're not alone, parent, because that is really, really common in that journey. Other ones that tend to be a little bit trickier are like the sexual themes. So if your child has some contamination issues, they don't want to talk about what's contaminated. A lot of times it's bodily fluid or semen or sexually related themes. And so that makes them uncomfortable. Sometimes with moral OCD, their intrusive thoughts can be perceived as bad. And so they may not be wanting to be forthcoming because. Uh, Maybe even therapy is perceived as bad. You see this also with perfectionistic issues that just to admit that I have a problem is part of the problem. 
like I need to be perfect and going to therapy or talking about something that's not perfect is part of the actual issue. And so that that's like a double layer. It's like a mirror inside of a mirror, right? You're like admitting there's a problem and talking about a problem is part of the problem. <laughs> it can make your head want to explode. So that's an issue too. And I'm trying to think what else. Oh, and harm OCD. That one can be a really tricky one too, because they don't want to admit that they might have these intrusive thoughts that they are worried they might harm someone or harm themselves because they know how that'll be perceived in society. Someone who doesn't understand OCD would see that as like a really crazy thought or, you know, a homicidal or suicidal ideation, even in the mental health world. And so they get that enough that they're like, I'm not bringing that up to anyone because they don't know that there's something called harm OCD and that that's a theme. That's another flavor, the way that OCD can show up. So in general, just to summarize, the most common barriers are, you know, feelings of shame, embarrassment, guilt. Uh, Second is feeling that therapy or talking will make it a problem worse. And the third one is it's not that bad. I did mention the third one, right? Like they're held captive and they're like, it's not that bad. It's like Stockholm syndrome with OCD or anxiety. It's not that bad. Some of them do what they want. It's fine. I actually enjoy it. They're keeping me safe. You know, So it's a little Stockholm syndrome type of issue going on over there. So those are the three main ones. And then for you, let's talk about us because we're part of the equation. And this is not always in play. So everything I'm talking about, not all of this is in play, uh, but sometimes you can have a parent who is too overzealous. And I use that expression a lot because I really don't know how else to express it because it's like a good thing. You know, they're like, they're engaged and they're excited and they're learning, but they're too overzealous. And I've seen this a lot in my practice. I see it in the AT parenting community. I've seen this in parents in general, the type of parent who is very gung-ho. And I love those parents, but sometimes it can swing too far where you are like five paces ahead of your child. And this is really your journey, your battle, and you're dragging your child along with you. And so, and you might notice this, like your child is doing things to make you proud and sees it as a relationship thing. Like, as long as I do this, I'll let my parent know and they'll be proud of me. And it's about the parent. And so sometimes the more overzealous you are, the the more a child can shut down. And that's too bad. And so even when we are really excited about learning these resources, we then have to reflect on looking behind us and seeing where our child's pace is at. I'll give you like a weird concrete metaphor example. We just ran, we didn't ran, we we didn't run, we walked. There was a 5K run walk. And we were definitely going to walk in Phoenix. It's super hot. And it was for Tunnels to Towers, which is a great foundation. They help uh, families like ours who have had, you know, a loss and um, they help with mortgages. And you should check them out because they're an amazing organization. But we were supporting them and it was was so hot in Phoenix. And so we're walking and periodically I would see that my son is like not with us. I'm talking to my daughter. It was like me and my 10-year-old daughter and my 12-year-old son. And we're walking and my daughter and I are talking. And then I would notice that he's not there. And it was hot. And I, like when we got to the first mile, I was like, oh my gosh, there's like 2.5 more miles. I'm not going to make it. So I was having my own internal freak out. 
And so I can imagine my kids were too, because it was just so hot. And it's not like we walk around in the heat all the time, like for three miles. And so I would look behind and he would be like quite behind us. And so instead of encouraging him to pick up the pace, come on, you know, we're going to be last in line, which was my social anxiety, because we started off in the middle and we were very quickly the last people. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, it's gonna be so embarrassing. If it's going to take us like two hours and people at the at the finish line would be like, oh, yay, we had to wait here for an extra hour and a half for you to walk three and a half miles. So my social anxiety was a little bit, you know, n- annoying during the walk. But then I was like, if that happens, that happens. I don't care. You know, like it's just, we're just doing it and it doesn't matter if we're last, which we were. I mean, there were like 10 people behind us, which made me feel good. And I heard one of the guys who was like cheering in line going, we're going to be here forever. <laughs> and I was like, suck it. No, that's not nice. I didn't say that. But I was just like, sorry, you know. But my point is in this very tangential story that I didn't encourage him to pick up the pace because I know my son and that would have totally shut him down. And so instead, I had to slow my pace, even though it was actually against my social anxiety in that moment, and let him feel like he's picking up the pace and he was able to catch up with us. And I did do that. And eventually, within a few minutes, he was walking ahead of us. And then I could tell he was like purposely walking farther ahead because he felt good about it. And so there was a really good metaphor for how we need to approach our kids' journey with anxiety or OCD. We need to slow our walk and let them catch up. We, they should always be at least one step ahead of us. We should be right there in their like blind spot if you're driving, right? Like kind of on their side where we're not equal. We're slightly behind them, coaching them, supporting them. If we're in the front towing the line, that's not going to work out. And if that is where you're at, then you have to pause and say, why is that happening? And then what do I do about it? And so that's one issue when parenting style that can kind of cause more of a shutdown. The next one is there's just not really good communication in the family at all. And so if you don't communicate or if your child has a hard time communicating with you in general, good luck communicating about something really uncomfortable like anxiety or OCD. And so sometimes parents, It could be even just the family dynamic doesn't foster communication, or maybe there's some overzealousness in fostering communication to the point where it shuts kids down. Or you could maybe have a parenting style where you micromanage. Maybe you don't want to admit that, but some of us micromanage our kids. And so when our kids do open up, we shut them down. And I know that that happens a lot. I have to watch myself in my family too, you know, where they'll tell me something and it's like, Do I punish them for that? They were forthcoming, or do I just celebrate that they were open and communicated? Or they'll tell me a problem, and maybe I want to communicate that with the teacher, or I want to rip a kid's head off. (laughs) That sounds violent, but you know, like they're doing something really horrible to my kid, and I get very like mama bearish. But I have to say, my relationship with my kids, my kids are older too, and none of them were like life threatening or anything that would need to go to someone higher, but what does my child want me to do with this information? You know, and I've learned the hard way where I've been a little bit too micromanagey, you know, that I have to respect them. And so if my son says like lately, he does not want to, he has OCD issues around things being just right. And he, it's been, it impacts his reading. And we got through that. We did a lot of exposures about reading and rereading. And if you're having that issue, I do have a whole podcast episode on that. You can always go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com scroll all the way to the bottom. There's a search button and just type in like reading and you'll see that episode or any episode that you're looking for on a particular topic. 
but he doesn't like writing and he does have pans. And so I think it does impact his writing skills because he used to love writing. And so I said to him, because he'll like complain and he doesn't, and his grades are kind of suffering because he doesn't want to write down his notes. He'd rather type them. And I said to him, let me call the school. Or I actually didn't phrase it that way because that sounds aggressive. I said, can I call, or do you want me to call the school? Do you want me to call the school? I can call the school and we can, we can develop a 504 plan where you, you know, because he doesn't have one, my daughter does, where you type all your notes. Or I could just talk to the teacher and just explain the situation. No, mom, no, I don't want to do that. Like, I'm going to have to learn how to write. And so I'm not going to touch that because if I do, if I override what my child wants in some situations, now sometimes it's a safety issue. And so there are different situations where we do have to override what they want. But in this situation, I have to respect that because I'm fostering communication and trust. And so we have to look at what's your communication and trust like at your home. And if it's not great, then that's your first step, right? Because we're looking for action steps. What's your first step? What's your first action that you're going to take? And when you get tunnel vision, and I teach this in my free series, Survival Tools for Parents Who are Raising Kids with Anxiety or OCD. That one's coming out in November, by the way. So just stay tuned. But that's the thing I teach in that series, that free series, is there's always a next step. It's just the question of what it is. And so sometimes the next step is I need to work on communication and trust. And I have plenty of resources on that. Go to my website, check it out, or just look at the podcast and you'll see episodes on that. The next one is maybe happening in some of your families and that's stigma. And so depending on your cultural opinion about mental health or your family or your extended family or your partner's opinion about mental health, there could be some stigma there. And so maybe you're okay with talking about anxiety or CD, but they get the vibe that dad thinks it's like a weakness or that he, that you just need to suck it up, you know, or, or maybe grandma or aunt and uncle, you know, they, they make fun of therapy or they make, they use like, oh, she's so OCD. And so they're getting either an overt or like a subtle message that having a problem with your mental health is not copacetic in this house or in this family. And that might be happening with some of you. And so then you have to do your work on helping to destigmatize that. Uh, sometimes we do that inadvertently as parents because we don't want to say anxiety or OCD. I especially see this with OCD, but people use kind of euphemisms even for anxiety. When they'd come in for therapy, they'd say, you know, my child is nervous or, you know, she gets worried sometimes or her worries. Um, and then when I talk to the child or teenager and say like, you know, how do you cope with anxiety? They'll be like, what's anxiety? You know, everybody gets worried, but not everybody has an anxiety disorder. And so sugarcoating it because you don't want to label your child or you don't want them to feel labeled or you don't want to pathologize it actually winds up doing some harm in a lot of the cases. And especially with OCD, because OCD is a very unique beast. And if you don't know what you have, you're not going to be able to really help yourself long-term. If I say, you know, he's got these quirks or he's got these ticks. And by the way, OCD and ticks are totally different. So that bothers me in and of itself. A compulsion is not a tick and a tick isn't a compulsion. You can have teretic OCD. That's a different story, but that's not how it's being used. People will use ticks and quirks to explain compulsions and they're very different. So if we can't even say the word OCT, our child isn't going to be able to get the right help because the first step in understanding and working on OCD is knowledge and education. 
And if the hands are tied because we can't say the word OCD because we don't want to label them, then we're doing them a disservice. That's that's you know my soapbox on that one. So those are just some just broad examples of the barriers. So we have our child and teen barriers where they could feel ashamed and embarrassed. They don't think it's that bad. They feel therapy or even talking about it will make it worse. Those are some common ones where the therapist is going to take away their like coping skill, which is you when we're talking about separation anxiety, or they might think therapy is going to push them too far too fast. And then we have the parent version of our stuff, right? We're too overzealous. We're not pacing ourselves to gauge where our child is at. Maybe communication and trust is already not there. You can't build a house with no solid foundation. So if you're trying to build this huge house and you're building it on dirt, it's not going to work. You have to pour the cement and the concrete has to solidify before you start building on that on that foundation. And the cement is communication and trust. And so then you need to go back, pour that cement, wait till it, it solidifies. And the last one is the family stigma. You have to address that as well. And I want to mention one more thing, and then we're going to start moving into what to do about all this. But it is key to know what you're dealing with, right? The last thing I want to mention before we dive into how to address all these things is also your emotions that are attached to this. And so are you overzealous or angry or shut down because you're so anxious about this? And if you're coming from a really anxious or unhinged perspective, then we have to solidify you because you're the anchor. I talked about that in my last series that we talked about self-care for parents raising kids with anxiety and OCD that just ended. And it was all about how to make you the anchor, working on your own stuff so you can be anchored so that you can be there to support your child. So we have to deal with all that too. So where do we start with all this? Well, the first is addressing those core issues. So if I pause and I play detective, uh, and it's not like I'm going to ask my child, why don't you want to work on anxiety or OCD? What do you think the barrier is? Your child may not really know, or they may not be able to verbalize it. So you can say things like, what's the hardest part about talking about your anxiety? Or what's the hardest part about going to see a therapist? Whatever the barrier is, because the barrier will be different for each one of you. When, when I title this podcast, My Child Doesn't Want Help for Anxiety or OCD, that means something different for each one of you. For some of you, it means they'll talk about it at home all the time and they'll discuss it with you. Communication trust is pretty solid, foundation poured. But when you try to get them into therapy, they say, mom, you're helping me. I don't need another, I don't want a stranger or I don't want to talk to anyone else about my problems, right? And so that's different than another parent who's listening to this and saying, no, we can't even breathe the word OCD in my house without a full-blown meltdown. Those are different, right? Two totally different kids at different points in this journey, right? So we have to know where we're going to start. And that's why understanding, you know, where we're at is important. So if your child's not even able to discuss it without going, you know, ballistic, then you're at that point where you have to work on the communication and trust. And so if you're not able to talk to anything about them, then that's your first action is working on your relationship outside of anxiety or OCD. If you could talk about everything but anxiety or OCD, then maybe you say to them, what's the hardest part about talking about your anxiety? Or, and I'm saying anxiety or OCD because this is for all for parents who are raising kids only with anxiety, some with only OCD, some with anxiety and OCD. So just replace what I'm saying with what your kid's issue is and see what they say. Maybe they'll say something like, 
I just don't want to talk about it because, you know, it makes me feel worse. Okay, well, now we know that that's the barrier. Or they might say, that's all you ever talk about. That's all you ever want to talk about. All right, well, that's a little, the too overzealous category. (laughs) And even if you're like, oh, Natasha, I'm not overzealous. I don't know why they say that. They're perceiving it that way. It doesn't matter what the reality is. If the perception is that, then that's the reality because perception is reality. It's only based on what they perceive. And so it doesn't matter what the objective truth is. It only matters with how they see it. So that's the issue. If they will say, you know, I like doing my anxiety or OCD. It's like not a problem for me. Like it's not that big of a deal. It keeps me safe. Like, so then we know that that's the barrier, right? So having a conversation, if you are able to, which if you're not, then we have to go back to the other action steps and say, okay, I have to work on communication and trust. And I have lots of resources on that. So you just have to, that's not what this episode's about, but it's to point you in the right direction and say, okay, what action do you need to take next? Having a conversation or trying to have a conversation will give you a lot of information if you dive into it in the right way, you know, with this open-minded and open-worded questions of, I get, you know, validate it first. I get that it's hard to work on OCD. What's the scariest part about going to a therapist? You know, well, they might think I'm weird. I have a lot of weird thoughts or I don't want to share that with someone. Okay, well, I know then that it's the stigma attached to it. So once you find that, then you're going to work on reframing that. And so if they feel embarrassed or shameful, then we're going to work on removing the stigma. If they feel like there's a family stigma, then we're going to work on stigma as well. So that might mean I'm going to show them uh, YouTube videos of very particular OCD themes that or anxiety themes that relate to them. That can be helpful because you know, it's like, oh my gosh, they actually make a YouTube video on this particular theme. That makes me feel more normalized. And I can look at all the comments and see, oh my gosh, look at all these people who are commenting about this as well. If they have OCD, you can watch Unstuck, an OCD kid's story. That's very helpful too. OCD kid's movie. I don't know why I said kid's story. (laughs) I just had to Google that because my brain was like, that didn't sound right. And it wasn't. And that's why. There are a lot of resources to help remove the stigma. You can Google famous people with anxiety, famous people with OCD, and then, you know, go through the list and find someone who would resonate with your child and say, do you know that so-and-so has OCD? And you can find videos of a lot of famous people talking about their OCD. And so you can Google it on YouTube, or you can go to the Child Mind Institute often has a page where they get famous people to talk about their anxiety or OCD. And so that's a great place to start as well. But that helps normalize it. If I can show you this amazing person and then tell you, like my kids love Ryan Reynolds. My husband loved Ryan Reynolds. He passed away, so it was love. And I used to joke like that was like his like bromance was Ryan Reynolds because he loved Ryan Reynolds because my husband was a lot like Ryan Reynolds. He was like very funny and like the delivery of his humor was very similar. And so since my husband passed away, like we all are like, oh, we love Ryan Reynolds because it kind of reminds us now of my husband as well. So, but when Ryan Reynolds came out and talked about his anxiety and that he had panic attacks before he would film movies, that was really helpful and normalizing to my kids to say, this is somebody that we look up to, that my husband looked up to. And here he is in an interview talking about his anxiety, very, very healing and normalizing for my kids. My son will talk about his OCD like on VR to the point where I have to kind of be like, maybe tone it down a little bit (laughs) because he's like, so it's so normalized for him that he doesn't realize that 
you know, I think he's just so open and maybe that's a great thing. You know, maybe I don't need to have anxiety around trying to protect him. Although he's a sensitive kid, but he's open about it. So finding someone who's famous and anchoring, it can be really helpful as well. There's a lot of athletes who've talked about their anxiety or OCD. So that could be helpful. If my child or teenager is saying, you know, it's not that bad, then my, the education part has to come with showing them how bad it can get. And that is a tightrope as far as, you know, how extreme do we go? Because, you know, if you have a hopeless child who's actually depressed, and that could be a barrier too, mood instability. So if you have a child who has dual diagnoses or is, you know, depressed and hopeless, they may not have the mental capacity to want to work on anxiety or OCD because it's just too much. And so that that's an aspect as well. But if they didn't have that and they just are like, you know what, is OCD really that bad? You know, maybe it's just part of my lifestyle. And I'll actually hear parents tell me this too. Like maybe we just need to accept OCD as just part of who they are. And I get that when it comes to some other disorders or some like neurodiverse presentations of who we are as human beings. I get that. But with OCD, OCD often gets worse. And the more you feed it, the bigger it grows. And it can get really, really scary really, really fast. And so it can help that maybe you find podcast episodes. You can listen to OCD stories. It's a podcast if you haven't heard of it. And depending on their age, if they're a teenager, you can certainly hear people tell their stories on there about how bad it got before they got better. So it's this tightrope of scaring them and and not not scaring them unnecessarily, but scaring them of like, this is truly the reality of what it can be. And then also offering hope and inspiration that it can be also tackled. That's easy for me to do at my house because I can just use the database in my head of all the kids I've worked with who have had really, really scary, acute OCD and tell my kids, like I worked with blah, 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 you know, and I don't say their name or whatever, but I once worked with a kid who started off just like this and was not able to even leave their bed after a while because everything became contaminated. And so talking about how just because it's not bad now doesn't mean it won't grow. And the more you give in to OCD, the more rules it will have. You can learn that just through YouTube videos. I have tons of YouTube videos that talk about how like OCD will grow if you're not doing anything to squash it. And actually the um, OCD, the crushing OCD course that's coming out for kids and teens spends a lot of time talking about that. I talk about, I try to make it interesting, but I talk about the neural pathways and how like they're, they're getting driven on, you know, the more they're doing OCD and the more OCD grows and trying to really connect the dots that the more you do for OCD, the bigger it grows. For anxiety, same thing. You know, if you keep avoiding, and this is what I would tell my kids, you know, if you say, oh my gosh, I'm afraid I'm going to throw up. So I need to avoid restaurants. I say, then your, your anxiety will say, okay, well, what's next on the list? Maybe movies because there's food there. Maybe airplanes because people get sick. Maybe cars because people get sick. It will never stop. It will always give you another reason why you need to avoid. The more you avoid, the bigger the anxiety grows. So again, we're going back to education with that as well. Now, if they feel, I'm going through all the different barriers that kids will have. If they feel like therapy or even talking about it will make the problem worse, the first step is getting them to see how that is in and of itself an anxiety or OCD problem. And so then the education goes to anxiety wants you to avoid. And if you avoid talking about anxiety, anxiety already wins. It doesn't even have to show up to the game. You know, it can defer. It could say, you know what? I don't even, I don't even have to show up. I have to do no work at all because she won't even talk about me. And so game over, 
right? And when we're talking about OCD, I say, you know, OCD loves to boss you around. It doesn't want to be talked about because the more you talk about it, the more you'll realize it's a paper dragon. It looks big, but you can crumple it up and put it in the palm of your hand. You know, it's it's a puffer fish. And so the very first step to help you with your anxiety or the very first step to help you with your OCD is just to get you used to talking about it. So in and of itself, just talking about it is a step in the right direction. So that's what I try to get kids to see first. And then you take it really slow. And so a lot of times, if we're dealing with that kind of issue, a lot of times the first step, and for a lot of the issues, actually, not just the last one that I talked about, but it might be, you know, if you can just watch this video that's two minutes long, then you can earn blah, blah, blah. And so there's there's two parts to really helping motivate a child with anxiety or OCD. It's the intrinsic part of getting them to see where some of these barriers don't make sense or aren't accurate, because ultimately we want to foster some internal drive to work on these things. But more often than not, that comes later. And so we do want to address these barriers to get you know the gears into drive. But then the second component is we need to have some external reinforcer to really seal the deal. And so that might be another reason why you haven't seen progress is you have dropped the whole behavior modification aspect of motivating your child or teenager. You might say, you know, my teenager is too old, you know, to give them rewards, or I don't believe in doing rewards for things that other kids can do already. Or maybe you follow a Ross Green approach and you don't believe in behavior modification. But for anxiety and OCD, to get the ball rolling, it is really, really helpful and really, really important. And I did interview Ross Green if that is your reason why you're not gung-ho on it. Um, and you can listen to that episode. Just search my website, type, type in Ross Green, and you'll find it. Actually, I have it on YouTube as well if you're on my YouTube channel. But even he says for anxiety and OCD, you know, that's okay. It's a necessary component. You're constantly changing it. And so as they do something hard, then they have to do something harder to keep earning that. And eventually what happens, what I've seen happen in my practice and with my own kids is they don't need reinforcers anymore. You know, my kids do exposures because they actually do still earn stuff. But often my son, who's almost 13, he, he does daily defense type of uh, work where he is, you know, pushing back at OCD when OCD says don't eat something, he eats it anyway. And that is because he is now really intrinsically motivated. He wants to get bigger and OCD doesn't want him to eat. He wants to be healthy. He wants to not have to worry about eating when he wants to eat. You know, it's annoying and and he doesn't like feeling nauseous and OCD will make him feel nauseous. So he's he's got some intrinsically motivated reasons now, but it took a long time. That's just relatively new. But before then, he was very shut down. He didn't want to work on his anxiety or OCD. And his eating was out of control. Like he was not eating anything. And, you know, the the threat of a G-tube was very real. And even that wasn't a motivator 100%. And so we also had to add some bravery points. And, you know, for my kids, they couldn't get anything that was a want, not a need, without doing exposures. And so everything that they wanted had to be bought by points. And the only way you can get points was through exposures and not even chores. You know, it was just purely exposures. And so it became the currency of my house for a long time. My kids are doing better now. And so we're not at that level, but 
that's what got the ball rolling for both of them really is, you know, if they wanted anything at all above and beyond what they needed, they'd have to earn points for it. And so that became a a normal part of our lifestyle. But a lot of times that is not fully developed. It's not developed in a, in a solid way. I do have a podcast episode on how to create rewards. I think I call it rewards for anxiety and OCD in an effective way. Cause there is a, a very particular way to do it, that it's effective. So you don't want to fall into those pitfalls that will cause a problem, but uh, and that's not what this episode is about, but sometimes that's the missing key. And, you know, for kids that are teenagers in my practice, you know, one of the reasons why I think I was more successful than a lot of other therapists that the kids had already gone to, because I was normally the third or fourth therapist that they were trying. And mo- more often than not, kids would have success with me was because I would instantly set up a reward program. I'd say, what do you want? You know, go on Amazon and pick out what you want. And then we're going to talk about how you're going to get it. And kids would pick out Xbox controllers or Xbox video games or Robux for Roblox or, you know, a hair straightener or, you know, like just random things that weren't kid-like. I mean, the kids were easy, right? It would be, and they're cheaper, you know, but the teenagers weren't hard either because there were things that they wanted. And then we'd say like, this is the amount of points that you're going to need to get to earn that. And I wouldn't let it get out of control. I wanted them to earn that within the few weeks because they need to have a few wins under their belt. If it's too, if it's too big and it's too far out, they're not going to be motivated. So the other thing that can happen is your child might want to work on anxiety or OCD, but not in the way that you want them to work on it. And so we have to also gauge where do they want to start and meet your child where your child is at. So if they aren't willing to work on it because the way they perceive working on it is doing really scary exposures, then you say, you know, if we can just talk about your anxiety or OCD for five minutes a day, you can earn blah, blah, blah points. Start where your child is at. Where does your child feel the edge of discomfort, but that not over the edge, right? That's what, that's what they talk about in yin yoga. I like yin yoga. And now I'm doing a YouTube instructor and she's always like, find your edge, you know, and you don't, you shouldn't go over your edge. And I like that because I feel like that's true with anxiety or OCD too. It's like, find the edge do you know your child's edge? You might be so focused on you and what you want, what the therapist says and what these resources say that you forgot to really look at your child and say, what do they want? And that you might just take it for face value and say, they don't want to work on it, but where's their edge? You know, have you even explored their edge? If we talk about it for five minutes a day, you know, I would like you to just talk about it for five minutes a day and you can earn blah, blah, blah. Does that sound reasonable? You know, and then, you know, you can always do the used car salesman thing, which I do with my kids. And I'll say, How about we just talk about it for 30 minutes a day? Mom, that's so long. I don't want to. Okay. How about five minutes? You know, (laughs) it's the whole like, you can have this or you can have this, you know, it's $550, but you can have it for $19.99. Okay. That sounds better. Um, that does work on kids, you know, so sometimes I'll throw out something kind of crazy and then I'll just throw out the thing that I actually want them to do or am willing to have them do. And they're willing to do that. And so that can help too. Contrast kind of example. So where where are they at? Can they talk to you for about five minutes? Maybe if you've been overzealous or it's a relationship issue or a communication issue, then maybe you want to gear them towards a video. Can you watch a two minute video per day? You know, that's working on it. And you want to show them that by doing that, that alone is making steps in the right direction. Can you watch Unstuck, an OCD kids movie? It's 20 minutes long. You know, can we do that this week? 
So maybe think out of the box as far as what your expectation of working on anxiety or OCD is. Maybe it's like, can you just make a list of the upsetting thoughts you have or, you know, whatever it is. And that's not really, it'll be so different for each person that I really can't dive into it too much, but find the edge and find where you want to start and meet your child where they're at. And that's really important. And maybe you have to give it space. If you've been going and hitting this hard for a while, maybe you need to go radio silent for a week or two. Just give them some breathing room to just work on your relationship with them. I noticed my son only talks about OCD now, which, you know, is surprising. But I also want him to know that I see him as more than that. You know, to me, it's like it's been an indication lately that maybe that's he he thinks it's the only thing that I'm responsive to or that excites me when he talks. And that might be a problem. So be humble, right? Like I'm humble in the sense that I know I can do wrong and I know that I can respond or do things in a way that maybe isn't conducive to helping. And so my kids are my feedback in that sense. You know, if my son is only talking to me about OCD, maybe, I mean, that's a great thing, but maybe that also indicates that he feels like that's the only thing he can talk to me about. So be humble, be human. Look at what, how, what you can do to improve without being defensive. And then what steps you can take to move them in the right direction by honoring their edge. And the other thing is while you're doing that, which might feel like taking a a spoon and starting to dig instead of a shovel, at least there's digging, you know, because the other option is as you dig the hole for your child, they're going to be putting the dirt back in and you're getting nowhere. So you want to get some traction. But you can be working on other things outside of your kids that will also help propel you in the right direction. So let's say I say to myself, okay, you know what? I'm going to work on communication and trust. I'm going to listen to more podcast episodes that Natasha has on communication and trust. And I'm going to focus on that. And we're not even going to talk about anxiety or OCD because I realize my communication and trust in general is not good. I need to pour that foundation. So that's where I'm going to be. But then you're like, but in the meantime, I'm seeing my child do all these compulsions and struggling. And I feel like it's like I'm just watching my house burn down and I'm not doing anything to put out the fire. Well, you don't have to do that, right? You can't force your child to do the work they're not ready to do because you're pouring the foundation right now. But then you can do a lot of work behind the scenes. That's what we talk about in the AT parenting community. It's what I teach in my online classes. There are a lot of things that you can do as a parent that really don't even involve your child. So the first one is you can start to play detective and notice all your child's different intrusive thoughts and feelings and the compulsions they have to do without letting them know that you're watching or observing. You know, just you're taking, you're collecting data. You can learn a lot about anxiety or OCD without your child being involved. You have to know things in order to be an anchor. You can't have your child drive the the car and you don't have a map or know where they're heading. And so you can dive into resources and fully understand anxiety or OCD in the level that you really need to in order to be able to support your child. And you can start that with even if your child's not ready or able to work on anxiety or OCD. That's a great start. Have those resources, have that knowledge. So many parents don't understand all the many ways that OCD can show up, or so many parents don't understand how anxiety can manifest. And so learn those things. And that's why I have online courses. There's books. There's so many different ways. There's podcast episodes like this one to learn about that. The next thing is you can learn your involvement. 
What's your language like around anxiety or OCD? Do you empower them to, you know, face their fears or face their discomfort? Or do you accommodate and grow the anxiety or OCD through avoidance and completing the OCD loops? So learning your role in the anxiety or OCD is huge. And it doesn't mean that you're going to change overnight because it's really hard to change all of those things overnight. And that would be overwhelming for your kids. But you having an understanding of what your behavior is, and even if you're not able to change it right away to know, okay, when I like, you know, refill the soap bottles twice a day, I'm contributing to my child's compulsions because I'm providing something that grows the OCD. You know, it's like providing like drugs to a drug addict, right? It doesn't mean that you change right away, but you're aware that you're participating. Or when I wash my kids' clothes, you know, multiple times a day, or I wash their sheets because their OCD won't sit on it. Or when I am forced to wash my hands before I touch my kids' stuff because my child demands that. Or when I you know, respond to all my child's texts every time I'm away because, you know, their separation anxiety can't handle it. Or when I, you know, go with them everywhere because they can't be without me or when they sleep with me all the time, even though that's philosophically not what I want because, you know, there's family beds, but then there's also separation anxiety and those can be different. And so learning your part in the anxiety or OCD is very, very helpful. And then when your child has discomfort? Do you quickly swoop in and fix it and make it better? Or do you let them sit in discomfort for a little while? Or do you even coach them and say, I know this is really hard. I also know that you can handle it, right? So what's your language? So dive into the podcast episodes that are about you because we can always work on us no matter what, but especially around anxiety and OCD as well. So working on yourself. And the last thing I want to mention is if you're like already educated, Natasha, My child is already educated on that. Everybody's educated. We've been in therapy forever. We're still like on the brakes. Like how long do you wait? Communication is solid, but we're not getting anywhere. Well, then you might want to look in the space program. So Ellie Leibowitz out of Yale came out with the space program, which is a parent only accommodation program that like pulls back your accommodations and your involvement with your child or teenagers anxiety or OCD. And that might be really helpful too. Sometimes if our kids won't change, then we have to change for them. And that can impact a lot of different kids. Now, some kids and teens may not have an anxiety or OCD thing that really involves you at all. Although I think Ellie Leibowitz and his approach might disagree with that. But I actually think there's probably themes where we're not involved at all, even if our kids live with us. But there is a huge amount of kids with anxiety and OCD, where we are very intermingled with the anxiety and OCD. And if we pulled back, the they would have to sit with discomfort and they would have to learn how to tolerate discomfort. And with the SPACE program, um, they do a lot of research on it. They've shown that kids actually have made as much progress as ERP, exposure response prevention, which is kind of the, the go-to approach for OCD. And so uh, the SPACE program is actually created for anxiety, I believe, first, and then OCD. And now he's moving into like all sorts of different worlds around that. But that might be something. There are space-trained therapists that you can reach out to who will meet only with you. I actually created an online study guide. like So it's like a video course on space because he wrote a book called Breaking Free from Childhood Anxiety and OCD. It used to be really expensive. It was more of like a clinician's book. And then he came out with like a parental like layman's book on it, which is a lot cheaper, thankfully. And so you can read the book 
some people find it a bit dry. <laughs> so that's why the AT parenting community, you know, in my membership community, parents were like, uh, can you break this down for us? Or maybe like my husband won't read the book. And so I made a study guide for it and I made videos and my own worksheets to just explain the space program a little bit more in an engaging way. And so you can check that out, you know, check out the book or check out his website, which I think is spacetreatment.net. And he has like a list of providers on there. Or if you like my style and you like my classes, you can just check out my study guide, which is like the same stuff, but just in video format in my own style. And that's at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. So there are always things that we can do. And you can incorporate the SPACE program, even if your child is willing and wanting to work on anxiety or OCD. I mean, it's a great supplement to do both, I think. But a lot of times it's a lot on your plate when you're doing all different approaches at one time. But if you have nothing else to do and you're like, I don't know what to do, and I've done all the things that you just talked about in this episode, then the SPACE program is probably your next step. That might be your next action step or even to learn about it and just see what it's about. So I hope this episode helps you at least, I know it's not a silver bullet answer because there won't be one. I mean, you want someone to just say, you know what, if you just jump up and down five times and twirl around and then touch your toes, then your child will be motivated to work on anxiety or OCD. (laughs) You're like, oh my gosh, Natasha, why didn't anyone ever tell me that? It's not going to be like that right? I just wish it was, or I had some magic fairy dust I can sprinkle over the airwaves, but it's just not going to be like that. So we have to do the hard work. We have to figure out what are the barriers, address the barriers, because there's always a barrier and you may not be able to figure it out, but there is always a, a true barrier underneath. And we have to address that if we can. And then we have to work on our own stuff and our own approaches and take our next step based on that. And that does not sound glamorous or fun or easy or instantaneous. But what what is in this journey <laughs> instantaneous and fun? You know, it takes work. But when it when you do it and you honor their pace and you walk with them, not in front of them, you know, or you walk a little bit behind them, the end result is so beautiful. And so I have listened to so many stories of people who's who have a history of my child wouldn't work on their anxiety or CD, and now they're doing so amazing. And so my oldest daughter, she didn't really want to talk to me about her anxiety. And I think she had a little tinge of OCD, but she'll deny that. And I never really got her to put her foot on the gas in the way that I wanted to. She started therapy and then she didn't want to be, she didn't, she didn't get a great therapist, unfortunately. And that was, it was one shot and done. And she was like, nope, not going back. And I'm like, ugh. She didn't really want to talk to me about it too much. She apparently read my book, um, Anxiety Sucks, A Teen Survival Guide in private. I think she said, I gave it to her. I don't remember giving it to her, but she said, no, because now she's in college. And she says, I look back and yeah, that book really helped. And I'm like, when did you read my book? Because <laughs> I felt like I was hitting a brick wall with her. She didn't want to start driving. And I would do exposures. I would order her Starbucks on the app and I'd say, it's ready for you in five minutes if you can get in your car and go get it. And thankfully that motivated her. I mean, I did spend thousands of dollars on driving school because I recognized that I was too anxious to drive with her and I was going to cause more anxiety. So the happy ending to that is she drove herself to college. I followed her, you know, seven hours to LA, Laguna actually. And she's doing fantastic. She's doing fantastic in her first year of college. And so that was a child whose foot I felt was firmly on the brakes. And there is hope. I have so many stories like that. I hear so many stories like that in the AT parenting community. Um, and from parents that I've worked with in my practice, 
that, you know, history of kids who didn't want to work on it. Once you realize what the barrier is, it's like a key. It's like you unlock that mystery and you address the core problem and, or you fix yourself and, or, and then magic starts to happen. My son also, you know, almost G-tubed, didn't want to work on it. And I honored that. I even said to him, you know what? I'm working too hard on this. I'm working harder than you. This isn't about me. You're going to grow up and you're going to pack up your stuff and your OCD is going to pack up with you and you're going to go out there. And let me tell you about some of the people that I've worked with who are really struggling and they're in their 20s and 30s. You know, and I don't get to choose whether that'll be you. You get to choose that. And let me know if you need my help, but otherwise I'm going to, I'm going to stay out of it for a little while. And for him, that motivated him, you know, no, no, no. How can mom, I want your help, you know? And, and now fast forward a few years, like, like I just said before, he talks about it a lot. So there, there's always hope kids can always change. Kids can always get motivated, but we have to honor their pace. So I hope that you found this helpful. I hope that you got some things from it, at least uh, a direction in which way to go. If you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes or Google Play Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcast. Don't forget to leave a review if you have extra time. I always like to end my show reading one of them if I find one. And I want to thank North Foe. I like your username from Canada and said pearls. Thank you so much. Completely enlightening. Well, and I appreciate you taking the time to write a review, and I'm glad that you find my podcast enlightening and helpful. So maybe if you leave a review, I'll be reading yours next time. Uh, Don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do, and I will talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.